lawyer by training, writer and teacher by choice. Originally from New York, I am a proud wife and mother living in Los Angeles. Join me as we delve into the Holy Torah's teachings and apply them to our lives. I keep it short and sweet, but always deep. Welcome. Welcome back. So we're currently in the three weeks of mourning the loss of the temple. And last week we spoke about how the morning of this time is both proactive and also relevant to our lives. Today, I would like to speak about a different idea that's also positive and constructive and relevant to this time we are in. And specifically, I want to speak about how we can make a dwelling place for Hashem in this world, even though we don't yet have a temple. Rav Yaakov Hillel, a famous rabbi and Kabbalist in Jerusalem, says that when the temple stood, it was the dwelling place of the Shekhinah, the divine presence. And from within it, the Shekhinah radiated outward to all corners of the world, filling Jewish homes with light. But when the temple was reduced to ruins, he says, the Shekhinah was driven into exile along with the Jewish people. And he says something really, really powerful. He says, as painful as the Galut, the exile is for us, it is far more painful for the Shekhinah, the divine presence, which remains without a home. So I just want to touch on this idea for a moment. I I remember when I first kind of realized this idea for myself, I was actually on a Poland trip. I went in law school. It's an amazing trip, very powerful. And um, we visited Majdanek concentration camp, among other places. But when we were at Majdanek, I'll never forget, we went into the gas chamber and crematorium that was kind of on the outskirts of the camp. And standing in this gas chamber was was surreal. And, you know, my rabbi spoke and we said the Shema. And I had time, I felt like physically sick being in that room. And after we said the Shema, the, the group went into the crematorium to look at the ovens. And I, I had had enough. <laughs> so I, I went outside and I remember I found a rock to sit on and I just started sobbing. And I was crying, of course, for the Jewish people and, and the people who died you know, for no reason at all, really, except that they were Jewish. But I was also, I was also crying for God. I was like, you know, we we know that nothing can happen without Hashem allowing it to happen. And obviously the topic of why the Holocaust happened and why Hashem allowed it to happen is a whole other thing onto itself with the ultimate answer, I think, being that we'll never really understand and we can never really understand why it happened. But the bottom line is, is if we know there's a God, then he obviously had to allow it to happen. And it's really hard to comprehend, but but what I could relate to at that moment was I felt so sorry for Hashem. Like imagine, God forbid, watching your own children being harmed and being killed and how devastating that is for a parent. And we know Hashem is like our father. So I felt sad for Hashem and I was crying for him as well. So we have to appreciate this idea that when the temple was destroyed, Hashem's presence, so to speak, also went into exile and Hashem doesn't have a permanent dwelling place here in the physical world, but there is hope. And even though Hashem doesn't have his permanent home, we can make a dwelling place for him here. And this is what I want to speak about now. When the Jewish people were in the desert, Hashem said to Moshe, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And he was referring to the Mishkan, which was like the traveling temple that the Jewish people had in the desert before they built the base Hamigdash, which was meant to be the permanent temple. 
And the commentators say, why does it say that I may dwell among them? It should say, let them make me a temple or a sanctuary that I may dwell in it. But the commentators say that it means Hashem dwells among us, among the people, based on our actions. And where does he dwell? In our hearts and in our homes. So I remember when I was in law school, my parents went out to dinner with some friends and they're like, so, you know, is Jenna dating anyone? And they're like, she's in a relationship with Hashem. (laughs) Because during law school, I really, I was really trying to work on my relationship with Hashem. Like that was my focus at that point. I needed my own time for personal growth before I started dating. And I was really trying to build um, a dwelling place for Hashem in my heart and in my home, so to speak. And I, I'll never forget, I had a meeting with Rav Moshe Weinberger, Shlita of Eish Kodesh Shul in Woodmere, New York, who gives amazing classes. I highly recommend listening to his classes online. And he gave me a book called Bilvavi Mishkan Evne, which literally means building a sanctuary for Hashem in your heart. And this is a great book that I really recommend if you're interested in that topic. But what I want to talk about today is how we can build a dwelling place for Hashem in our homes. Rabbi Yaakov Hillel says that Hashem can find a dwelling place in a shul, in a yeshiva, in a kolel, places of mitzvot and Torah learning. But most importantly, he says, Hashem should dwell in Jewish homes. And he says, even when the temple stands, the ultimate goal is not for the Shekhinah, the divine presence, to remain centered in the holy temple, but for it to radiate outward into every Jewish home. The Shekhinah, he says, wants to be among us and part of us. I think this is a really beautiful idea and something that we don't often realize. Um, You know, we often think of Hashem's presence as out there, over there, but no, like Hashem wants a dwelling place in our, in our most intimate space, in our homes and in our hearts. And the Jewish home is actually referred to as a mikdash me'at, a mini sanctuary for this reason, which I think is amazing. The home is actually the lifeblood of, of Jewish life. And we're seeing this so clearly now because we don't have our shuls. You know, maybe a little bit we do, but nowhere near the capacity as prior to Corona. And we don't have our schools. What do we have? We have our homes. And Jewish life continues just as it always has. That The Jewish home is the center of Jewish life. And I just want to make a relevant side point that I think is very important. Women are the center of the home. We set the tone of our home. And we're really the ones who guarantee the continuity of our people. And, you know, when I became religious, a lot of a lot of people said to me, you know, how could you sign up for a religion where women are second class? And in the beginning, I'm not going to lie, I did feel this a little bit just because we live in a world that, that is so focused on externals and I would be in shul and, I, and I'm thinking, why don't I count for a minion? And I felt left out of the action. So I did feel that a little bit, especially in places like shul. But what I came to learn was that the Western world puts so much emphasis and importance on the external world. And what do I mean by the external world? Anything outside the home, your profession, you know, communal events, things that happen in public. You know, no one cares whether I withhold from getting angry at my spouse or my child. They care if what school I went to <laughs> and if I'm a lawyer and, you know, what I do for a profession. Like, that is just, like, the emphasis of the world we live in. And I could I could be a spiritual champion working on my character traits every day with such strength and, and power. But if I'm not out there, you know, as the CEO of Google and Facebook, it's like, you know, who are you? So we live in an external world, and that is the domain of men in Judaism. They have the prominent role in the external world. And women have the prominent role in the internal world, in the home. But if anything, 
we're seeing now it's the internal world of the home that is actually the most important because that, as I said, is the center of Jewish life. And it's, it's the place where Jewish life ultimately continues on, even when we don't have our shuls in schools, which we've gone through many periods of history where, where we haven't had that. So uh, just a, a side point, but it's a big misconception that uh, men are considered more important because their realm is the external realm. Judaism doesn't view it that way. It's external realm is, is mostly for men. Internal realm is mostly for women, but, but neither is better than the other. If anything, I would argue the internal is, is more important. So Rav Yaakov Hillel says that every single Jewish home is like another stone in the future base Hamikdash. And there's an opinion by the Rishonim, the early sages, that the third temple will not be built by man, but it will actually descend from the heavens fully built. And he said, um, Rav Yaakov Hillel says, for almost 2,000 years, we've been rebuilding the temple every day through Torah and mitzvot and good deeds, and especially with every new Jewish home. He says, every Jewish home established as it should be adds another stone in the third temple which I think is an amazing idea. It's so empowering. And, and it really brings this idea of mourning the temple and, and working to, to move forward to rebuilding it. It's, it makes it so um, relevant to us that in our own personal lives, we can really work toward rebuilding the temple on a, on a real spiritual and physical level. And we're going to speak about how specifically now. So how do we make our homes dwelling places for Hashem? Number one, we have to create peaceful and happy homes. Rav Yaakov Hillel quotes the sages who says that anyone who makes a bride and groom happy is considered to have rebuilt one of the ruins of Jerusalem. And he says, what does making a bride and groom happy have anything to do with rebuilding the ruins of Jerusalem? And he says something so beautiful. He says, when there is no happiness, the divine presence departs. And somebody who makes a bride and groom happy at their wedding brings the divine presence into their home right at the beginning. And so when a couple has happiness, they have shalom bias. They have peace in the home and they make themselves a vessel for blessing. Why? Because shalom means complete. So if you have a complete vessel, a vessel that is whole, that doesn't have cracks in it, it can hold blessing. But if you have a vessel that has cracks, the blessing, the blessing can't hold. So it's very important that we create peaceful and happy homes, which obviously is can be very challenging now when everyone's at home. Um, at least for me, I find that. But um, it's really the foundation of of having a home where where the divine presence can can rest. Number two, a and a very important point that I'm not going to spend too much time on, but we need to safeguard what comes into the home. And Rav Yaakov Hillel speaks a lot about this in in the chapter that I am working off of, but I'm not going to get into it as much today, but it's very important that we safeguard what comes into the home and make sure that we have positive, holy influences coming in and that we keep out negative and toxic influences because we want Hashem to feel comfortable in our homes, you know? Okay, number three, which I want to spend the most time on is we make our homes dwelling places for Hashem by doing mitzvot. So a lot of people I, I see speak about mitzvot and, and they think it means like doing a mitzvah is like doing a nice thing. But a mitzvah is actually a commandment from Hashem. And I remember when I was at Neve, when I was in seminary, I once asked my teacher, is the only way to connect to Hashem through mitzvot? You know, that doesn't seem right. You know, there's so many people in the world who have connections to God and they're not necessarily Jewish or religious. And he answered no. Mitzvot are not the only way to connect to Hashem, but they're the most efficient way to connect to Hashem. So what really is a mitzvah? What are we really talking about? 
A mitzvah is a medium to connect to Hashem in our time and place. Mitzvot enable us to elevate the physical world. Like when we say a blessing on food, we're connecting the food to its spiritual source. And mitzvah also help us to make a dwelling place for Hashem in the physical world. Like that's what we're speaking about now. It's really the meeting place between the physical and the spiritual mitzvot. And that's what the temple was meant to be. So every single mitzvah we do has meaning for sure. And this is why Chabad, you know, you'll see um, Chabadnik standing on the corner trying to get, you know, men to wrap tefillin or shake a lulav because even if that person who wraps tefillin that day with a Chabad rabbi will never wrap tefillin again in his life, the fact that he did it at that moment has meaning and elevates the world and brings us one step closer, closer to the redemption is one additional brick in the building of the third temple. But what I want to add is that consistency helps us to achieve greater heights. And I remember when I was in law school, I started, I started praying, I started davening, and I found it getting really rote, you know, every single day saying the same prayers over and over again, you kind of like lose the inspiration. But I remember Rebetzin Sipporah Heller Gottlieb, um, she, my teacher from, from Neve, she, she said that if you keep praying, even when it feels difficult and it feels rote, you're, you're going to jump. You're going to jump levels. So it's like you hit a plateau and then you jump. And I found this. I found that sticking with praying, um, even when it's hard, even when I don't feel like it, I, I jump levels when I stick with it long enough. And then I'll hit another plateau and then I'll jump again. So consistency is important. And then also, as we're saying, you need to also feel passion, which is challenging because with, with consistency, things can become rote. But we touched on this two, two episodes ago that we really need to renew and refresh our mitzvot however we can and, ma- and make them feel new and fresh so that we can have the passion um, and appreciate what we're really doing. So a few quick ways we can do this that I find at least are, you know, we can learn more about a certain mitzvah that we do to appreciate it more and really understand it. We can be more mindful when we do that mitzvah. You know, I can, I so quickly will just like mumble a a blessing, you know, before I have a drink. But if I take, take a second to stop and think like that, I'm, I'm thanking Hashem for giving me this drink and Hashem gives me so much. And that through, through this drink, I'll have more energy, um, to do mitzvot and to do good deeds. It's really, it's so amazing, you know, like, wow, what a powerful moment. And it doesn't take such a long time. And then also this idea that I've been learning about recently with my teacher, Yehuda Skolshevsky is holy imagination, um, a Hasidic concept about taking taking our imagination and bringing it into our practice. So an example she gives is like with prayer, you, we can actually imagine that we're in the place that is is most holy for us to pray. So for me, praying at the Kotel is the most special. So what I can do if I want is I can imagine that I'm in the Kotel, in front of the Kotel, and I, and I can, my, my prayer experience will be so much more powerful as a result of that. So these are some ways that we can enable our mitzvot to feel more powerful. And a point that I want to add is that I found that having mitzvot in my life has not only connected me more to myself and others and Hashem, but has really given me structure and meaning and purpose, especially now, because even if all of our external, you know, appointments and our external structure is unavailable, you know, I can't go to work, I can't send my daughter to school, things like that. I still have my home and opportunity to serve Hashem through mitzvot here. It's really a beautiful thing. So which, which mitzvot are we speaking about specifically? So the foundation of a Jewish home is keeping Shabbat, kosher, and family purity laws. And, you know, we're, we're all on different ends of the spectrum in terms of observance, but we can all strengthen ourselves in these three. 
and other examples of mitzvot that we can do. I mean, there's so, so many. We can pray. We can say a blessing on food. We can eat kosher. We can take care of a child or a parent. We can enjoy time with our spouse. We can learn Torah. We can exercise. We can give charity, donate clothing. The list goes on and on. And it's so easy to feel to feel depressed now. <laughs> like, why should I get up in the morning? I can't go to work. I can't go to the gym. What do I have to get up for? But is that really why we're here? The sages tell us that a dead person is somebody who's not connected to the source of life, Hashem. And a person who is alive is connected to the source. So being alive isn't about being physically alive, but being spiritually connected. And by connecting ourselves to the mitzvot in whatever way we can, we will feel more energized and inspired to live. We will have meaning and purpose. And there's a beautiful idea that one mitzvah begets another mitzvah. And if you imagine like Tarzan swinging on branches in the rainforest, <laughs> like once we begin to seize a mitzvah opportunity Hashem has put in front of us, it usually gives us the momentum and a way forward and we and we climb up and up. And not just that, we, we really make our homes um, a dwelling place for Hashem, which is, which is really what we're talking about here. So to sum up, we can make our homes a dwelling place for Hashem by creating a peaceful and happy home by safeguarding what comes into the home and by doing mitzvot, ideally with consistency and passion. And by doing these things, we can create a dwelling place for Hashem in our homes, which is an active way to rebuild the third temple. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed. And if you could please write a review on Apple Podcasts and share with family and friends, I would be so appreciative. Take care.